Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview John and Jennifer and talk about how to optimize your portfolio with a high net worth and when you should leave your W-2. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Scott Trench, and with me today is James Daynard from our sister podcast, On the Market. James and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go and make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get the money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither James nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decisions you contemplate. James, this was an awesome episode today. Uh, I want to give everybody a fair shake that this is a little bit more advanced. This is a, 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 a significantly high net worth couple. They didn't get there by being particularly fancy. They never earned particularly high incomes until maybe the last year or two, um, but they've accumulated millions of dollars. And we're going to talk about uh, the allocation of a portfolio that is well underway and you know some high level choices about how we're going to you know, potentially think about shifting those assets perhaps to commercial real estate. And that involves discussion around, um, we're going to throw out terms like 1031 exchanges. We're going to throw out terms like cap rates. We're going to talk about net operating income uh, and, and that jargon. I think anybody and everybody can learn from this, um, but there may be a couple of terms that we throw out there. And um, those are sprinkled in and uh, available for you to self-educate on throughout the Bigger Pockets platform to go look at those up. I hope you like it and um, we'll look forward to feedback. Oh, and by the way, listen to the very end because we present, I think, three very different choices to uh, John and Jennifer um, for them, and they'll have to kind of figure out what the right approach is for them based on on the, a wide array of really good options that they have. All right, we have a new segment of the show called The Money Moment, where we share a money hack tip or trick to help you on your financial journey. Today's money moment is, if your clothing size doesn't change much from year to year, purchasing clothing at the end of the season when it is on sale is a way to save money and to have a good supply of new clothing available for next year. So maybe now's a great time to buy that ski gear and that winter clothing um, if you're thinking about that in the winter uh, here in June. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. John and Jennifer have a rental portfolio in the Pacific Northwest. John has a W-2, while Jennifer works for herself as a chiropractor, and they have four children, all under the age of 10. They're wondering if their portfolio is optimized to its fullest potential and when John should leave his W-2. John and Jennifer, we're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having, Thanks for having us. us. Awesome. Um, to give a, a quick highlight about your financial position, you guys are 
very high net worth individuals. You've got a asset balance of over 10, um, close to $11 million. Most of that's in real estate, about eight and a half, uh, 8.7 million is in real estate. And you're levered pretty reasonably at, around, at close to about 50% on that portfolio, a little over 50%. Uh, that's that's across six different investment assets plus your primary residence, and then we've got uh, I see there's a, a nice 401k and retirement balance, a very healthy cash position, um, and a business that you guys own that's successful and profitable. And your household spending, I believe, is close to what is it eight eight thousand dollars a month Correct. here. So you know um, we've got a very very healthy financial position, and you know I think that that, that begs the question. Um, a, a listener might be asking, how can, how can we help you today? What are the things that you'd like us to cover? So we've been looking at how to optimize the portfolio. We've done well, and we feel like we've managed the the spending. Could always probably do better on spending, but mm-hmm. we're, we feel like we're doing well on the spending and investing. We've been doing that for coming up on ten years. Yeah. And the question is, how do you take a strong position and move forward in a smart and sensible way, not destroying the stuff you've built, but taking you know reasonable risks as the market changes and and trying to be to be smart again? We have a family and young kids, and trying not to try not to screw it up when you mm-hmm. when you do well in a game, don't mess up. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we look forward to chatting about that. We're going to dive all into that. But before we go go down that rabbit hole and start talking about some um, ways to begin tweaking or changing um, parts of your portfolio, let's hear a quick overview of your money story. How did you guys get to this position where you've accumulated $10 million in assets um, on incomes that are not crazy? They're not way, way out outside the norm here. No, our income has been pretty normal for the Northwest. <clears throat> We're not ironically high income earners in the Pacific Northwest um, comparative to the, to the, the tech community, but just starting out of, out of college, uh, getting a, a first house, uh, which is a duplex, um, you know, two years out of college. Um, Jen's been honestly an entrepreneur her whole life, but she, she really, after graduating college, went back to, to uh, school and, and started down the path of becoming a chiropractor. We I, actually met, he didn't say this. We met on a blind date uh, in 2007. Yeah. And I kid you not, we talked about a funny movie we had seen and um, investing in high yield online savings account. And I had my own business as massage therapist at the time before chiropractic school. And so we were chatting about that. And he's like, well, you need to pull this money over and get this five point whatever percent. Uh, And he was surprised that by date two, I had done that already. So I essentially would pull over a third of my income and then I just had it in savings. And so I started making money on my future tax payment for that year. So, and I always said, I I didn't care if I married somebody with money or not. I wanted somebody who was good with whatever they had. Five dollars, five million. It doesn't matter if you can't do well with it. Awesome. So the first date was a money date. This is, <laughs> this is a, a wonderful. It was very, it was very it, worthwhile. It was, okay. it was very good. Yeah. Then let's see here. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, I, I started working for a manufacturing company uh, here in the Northwest. <clears throat> uh, that was what? 2006, I went mm-hmm. back to grad school and been working a, a, a higher paying job. During that time, we had the great financial crisis mm-hmm. uh, great, um, that happened. And uh, honestly, I couldn't buy any real estate during the time. We had lots of cash, but we didn't have the education to know how to deploy it correctly into real estate at the time. So we invested in stocks uh, while I was in grad school. Ironically, 2012, 13, we had the cash from the growth in stocks to get down payments on properties. We bought a personal house. We bought a, a duplex. We, we actually ironically bought a foreclosure, um, not intentionally, but it was, it, we couldn't close on it and they took it to the courthouse. So we bought that as, a, as our, a really our first property together. We found out what two days before it was going to hit courthouse steps that, uh, that we were no longer going to be in contract with it. So you had to roll down to the courthouse and <laughs> pick it up. And then from there, we, we were actually pretty aggressive over the next few years with uh, adding properties. Ironically, real estate is very forgiving. So even with all the mistakes and just really not smart things we did, um, the market was accelerating upwards. Uh, you manage a property well. Even if you didn't do the, the the smartest due diligence on the on the front end, or or necessarily really understand the expenses as well, um, we were able to to manage that uh, a lot of sweat equity and build that into a, a real estate portfolio that's where it is today o- over the last 
the you know those intervening 10 years essentially what would you say your kind of max combined income was over the last you know last 20 years that you just talked about the the, the story and what was the kind of minimum uh, or average in that during that time period now granted it's fluctuated quite a bit um when i came out of chiropractic school we had gotten married halfway through. So when I came out, then came, you know, babies. And we used to joke with our tax guy every year it was either a baby or a building or both. Um, <laughs> so, in, you know, in some of the lean years, we basically, I was very part-time and we're mainly on John's income. So I would say combined was probably... Uh, maybe a hundred, about a hundred. About a hundred mm-hmm. when we're for combined income. My first job out of college was at thirty grand, <laughs> like in two thousand and two. So very, very low. And then two thousand six jumped up to uh, two thousand five six jumped up to close to fifty. And then when Jen and I got married, it it got to the eighty uh, to you know a hundred range. And um, then it's really accelerated in the last few years. Let's see, Max. Max, uh, Max is probably going to be this year, and that's going to be close to between the two of us three forty, maybe three fifty. And that does not count your real estate incomes. So that's just that does not income. count the real estate. That's <laughs> just the two of us working. At this time, we keep our real estate stuff very separate. That just goes back into the business. We live off of our income, um, and so that's kind of one of the questions: is like, how do we make that transition? Do we just keep that rolling? All the renovations and purchases come from from the you know the real estate self portfolio. Fund. So I, again, just uh, congratulations on 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 this, and and this is an incredible incredible wealth building journey that you guys have been on, uh, and and an incredible financial position that you guys have built. Again, without being you know a doctor, a, a, a CEO, or or any of these high profile you know baseball professional baseball player, whatever it is. So congratulations on that. And, and one more point that I want to call out here and just highlight: how how would you classify yourselves uh, in terms of spending? How frugal have you been and how important has that been? I would say on the big things, we are, we're pretty darn frugal as far as, you know, we don't buy the big shiny new things. Uh, we don't, you know, the furniture in our house, we, we buy a couple new pieces, the rest of it, you know, it's, it's offer up and it's marketplace because we're realistic and we have kids and we don't take the huge vacations. We go to visit his family in Ireland. We just got back a little bit ago. The spending <laughs> on the personal life has been pretty darn uh, tight. It's the, the where we probably go overboard when you look at our finances is our spending on on the properties because in those over the last ten years we've we've probably averaged at least uh, investing probably about a hundred thousand every year into the properties whether it's you know um, usually they're all improvements mm-hmm. but you know capex those types of things uh, on the front end when we buy a, a property so that's what kind of skews it it's it's funny our spending looks really high and then you go oh well, that's actually the portfolio spending all that. <laughs> awesome. And and so again, the story here is one of frugality, uh, middle, upper middle class incomes, uh, a study accumulation, and some really smart real estate bets that you guys have made, uh, predominantly self-managing, I believe, these this portfolio um, over the past two decades and um, building up a, a really cool position here. So one of the things that I noticed here, just to round out the, finan- the, the financial profile, is that the business on about $4 million in equity, it generated last year close to $32,000 in profit or in cash flow. And this year it generated 100 in 2023, your projection is for $170,000. So can you explain that jump? And I think that's gonna be a critical piece of the puzzle to understand and going, going through how we can optimize your portfolio. So for those, we um, we added two properties um, that were pretty heavily distressed. Um, ironically, both from the same, same seller, <laughs> and they needed a lot of rehab. And for that reason, one of them, both, well, uh, one was vacant for call it seven months out of twenty twenty two, and the other one, uh, the fourplex, was vacant. It'll, it'll be vacant all the way up until. Um, this coming month where the, the, where the rents start coming in for that. And between the two of them, they're the rentals for those units are quite valuable. So it, it equates to, um, was it, it's like 50, almost like 5,000 call it for the, for the duplex and for the fourplex, you're between looking eight at and 9, yeah, between eight and nine for the, for the fourplex. So it, it adds significantly <laughs> to the cash flow every single month. 
Question on that, those properties that you just purchased, those value add, you know, because a lot of times when we're looking at your analysis, we're going to be looking at like cash on cash return. What kind of liquidity do you have? How do you how do you increase that? How do you structure those deals when you guys are doing those up front? Do you structure those as a construction loan where you guys are rolling in the financing on the purchase? Or is it where you guys are just putting down a down payment and then funding all this rehab out of pocket? Because I know you said a lot of your your income goes back into your portfolio. But how do you structure the initial deal for capital? So for those, we were we're essentially uh, straight uh, conventional financing, just purchase the property and then use the cash flow from the existing rentals to fund any any improvements that that are are needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way we're not paying interest on the you're not paying the higher interest rate. And you've got because the rates were so attractive the, the last few years, it just seemed like uh, we wanted to you know, capture those low interest rates and and um, not lose the ability to lock them in for mm-hmm. the next 30 years. Were you able to still get cheap financing on those two before they jumped or was that purchased after? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you were able to lock that debt at like four and a half to five rather than the eight it's at right now. So you crossed the portfolio because in 2022 or 2020, we refinanced basically everything mm-hmm. uh, and locked in anywhere from you know, 3.1 to I think uh, 3.65 is our highest. Are those locked at 30 year or are those on balloons or 30 year? Okay. Yeah. So, so this is like, this is the, the problem and why this is going to be such a fun exercise is because like the portfolio is so optimized, right? They've, you've got what, like four fourplexes, one duplex and a tenplex plus your house, all at below three, three and, you know, 3.75, 3.625 is the highest rate you have. All uh, that are cash flowing or are projected to cash flow at a considerable rate. Yet, um, if we believe your projection model, you've got four and a half million, something in that ballpark, four million dollars in real estate that's generating one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And you're probably like, "Well, I'm, it doesn't quite feel free uh, to me." Is that is that the crux of the issue? If I were to put it in a nutshell, yep. yeah. <laughs> and. And when we look at next year, when you look at next year, the the income will jump again from a uh, hundred and call it a hundred and seventy, you know, hundred and eighty this year to closer to like maybe depending on if we keep our occupancy full, we could hit two fifty to two sixty next year uh, just in the cash flow coming off the rentals. And then you know you still get all the principal pay down, which is right now across the portfolio right around eight grand a month as well. And so it's like, that's the hard part. It's like how, you know, like you're saying, it's like you do this, you optimize it. Now you what? Go, now what? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-oh. <laughs> I think you guys have done an amazing job on your portfolio. You're very well balanced as investors and in, because that's, you have cash reserves, you got good cash flow coming in. They can weather any kind of maintenance issues. What you've done is you per- perfected your your portfolio the way it is right now, right? You're 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 running at full tilt. But one question I have cuz what you guys like to do is is you like to a lot of investors like to use leverage, right? Leverage is how you grow faster. Um and obviously you guys were able to attain the cheapest financing we've seen in ever in the history of of <laughs> the US, uh which is a great thing to have. But is there a reason why you guys never set up with, you know, because like setting up with the extra leverage gives you more cash, more cash you have, you can grow more units. And, you know, especially when you guys are averaging roughly uh, like a 7% return on your true cash flow, because because that that 260,000 you're talking about, that's that's net, that's not gross, right? That's pro- okay. You know, so like on a $4 million equity, you're making about a six and a half percent return, which I'm sure on your cash, you're making 12 to 13% roughly. That's usually what we're trying to get. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, like 12 to 13%. Is it just because you started purchasing that way in the very beginning, just putting 20% down, funding all the rehab out? Because, I mean, to have your portfolio at 50% sometimes is underutilizing leverage where you can, you know, where, you know, that leverage can, you can 2X that sometimes by, by pulling out more money. Ha- have you guys looked into tapping into that 4 million through other different revenue or is it more like your personal goals are to keep your debt cost down? Those are the areas that we we don't know enough to know enough. And so we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to miss step on that. I mean, when the rates went down, we had done a couple of purchases and I was poking him like, hey, if we're going to pull money, we should do we now. should do a cash out refi now. And I'm glad we did because then things quickly, you know, that wasn't an option. But as far as how to how to capitalize on that leverage. Yeah, that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah. And, and- to be totally frank with you, I mean, like the whole thing was like, you know, you always hear the horror stories of leverage kills and we 
try to be smart and stay away from that, you know, mm-hmm. not, not to, cause again, it, it's that whole thing of like, don't go bust. So, and, but we, we've realized now you've sacrificed, you're, you're sacrificing opportunity and ability to grow by potentially being overly conservative with the leverage position. John, what is your goals? And, and Jennifer, what's, what are your goals? You know, I, um, I, I want to continue to grow our portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I realize now, especially as we're starting to have really high income coming in from the, the rentals, the where I'm spending my time is no longer, it's, it, it, w- it made a lot of sense early on, have a great W-2, really strong uh, earnings. Um, you know, it's how you take care of your family. And now it's like, okay, I'm spending, you know, way more hours on a, uh, on a W-2 that is making far less money for my family. Way, and- way, way, way more hours. <laughs> well, I'm, well, I'm, I'm hugely supportive. It's, you know, it gets to be like, okay, what are we getting out of this versus how much stress? What would you rather be doing with your time? I work two and a half days a week in my clinic and, you know, it's a huge blessing to be able to do that and make what I do. And can I amp it up? Yes. Do I want to? Not really. Like, that's not why we're doing all of this. So, uh, and luckily both of our goals are pretty similar on that. I, you know, if anyone wants to stay at the W2 job more, he's, I'm trying to pull him (laughs) away and saying, you know, it's never going to feel comfortable. It's never going to feel like the perfect time. And the first one, you know, the first, even if you do an interim job, it may not be the final, but there's going to come a point where we're being there doesn't make sense. Um, so we're thankfully aligned on that. We know some couples where one wants to invest and one doesn't, and they don't agree on how much work should be spent where. And, and we work really hard to make sure that, you know, even with our kids, we're, we're first and foremost, as far as our health and relationship before the kids, before the business, otherwise what's it all for, right? John, do you like your job? I I do. There's a lot of aspects that are bogging me at the moment, but Mm -hmm. I, in general, I do. I mean, I've been there nearly almost 20 years, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, you realize you're kind of, you're kind of getting to the point where I know I have a lot less road ahead of me than I, uh, with that career than I did when I started. So here's the good news. You you can do whatever the heck you want to do. And (laughs) You've won the game, right? You have, again, $6 million net worth. You're going to generate $300,000 easily per year in cash flow from these investments on a go-forward basis, it sounds like. Um, Your job is irrelevant to the financial uh, position here. Uh, not irrelevant, but it's less, it's, it's almost, it's almost like a non-factor. It's like the, it's not the 80, 20 of your position. The 80, 20 is managing and, and growing this business. It's, it's way more impactful to the overall finances for this. So you have complete freedom. You can keep working that job as long as you'd like. You can cut back your hours, uh, whenever, whenever you want. Uh, if you ask me what a strong position to leave your job is $500,000 in cash and uh, $6 million in net worth with hundreds of thousands of dollars in passive tax advantage cash flow is one where I would say yeah, you're probably good and you spend eight thousand dollars a month on your household so 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 things are good there it's a matter of like what what makes sense on a go forward basis when do you want to do that and what do you want um and then from there we can figure out like is your portfolio giving you all that you want from it um surely it's eclipsing your spending goals but we can modify it to either have more aggressive growth targets by adding leverage for example and going bigger or we can have it yield more cash flow in the near term by reallocating some of that portfolio to higher cash flowing investments. If that's if that's something that's interesting, interesting. Although that will come at the expense of having to get very creative on the tax front and maybe pay some some income taxes in a, in a tax inefficient way. That would be the high level diagnosis that I'm bringing bringing to the table here. Um, and then I know that uh, there's other op- also ways to optimize your existing business and some some uh, areas to look at. Which of that sounds most interesting to you? Where would you like us to, to dive in first across that? I guess option A is probably. <laughs> when you said option A, do you, do you think that the uh, idea of figuring out how to optimize the portfolio for long-term value creation and access to where it's at is the, is the most interesting? I kind of think so. And and don't get me wrong. I realize the bias towards when you hold the stuff you own, mm-hmm. like you overvalue the things you hold. I wonder if I'm falling victim to that. You know. We all do, John. Yeah. We all do. Yeah, and that's that's why we're having the conversation. Is you get stuck in what works for you because this has worked really well, and I do the same thing. And all of a sudden, I got to be like, okay, I need to do it a little bit different here if I want to grow. Many, many people have that same thing. These houses have done well for me over the last six years. They want to keep them because they it's it's a proven track record. But then we can talk about how to make it even better. Because at the end of the day, financial freedom is just about the best financial position you can put yourself in. 
And so and those are important things to think about with your goals. Well, then the wild card too is, you know, with the interest rates going up and we would have thought, well, we would finish this fourplex and keep growing and accruing more, more buildings, but that's gotten a bit harder with the interest rates and, and trying to get those to cash flow. And from the beginning, you know, you can buy and hold and hope that you can refinance in the future, but. And that's sort of that weird space where we're in right now where you, you know, it's like, I know if I don't, I know that if, if Jen and I just sit here and do nothing in four years, we'll have another million dollars to essentially invest. Right. You know, again, it's really like you're saying, it's really hard to let go of that, you know, to security, like, security. <laughs> right. Well, I think, again, it, it all depends on where you want to go. And I think I don't think you guys have quite figured that out yet. Like, like what what what's next here? So I'm going to I'm going to start spitting out some here's some things that I'd be thinking about in your position based on my my sentiments. They're going to be completely different than that. Um, okay. I personally, if I was sitting in your portfolio, I don't know if I'd change a thing. I think James will disagree. And I want to hear his take on this. Um, I'd optimize maybe a little bit on the expense side, but like you're like, there's this phenomenon going on in the United States where interest rates have risen a lot. People have locked in their 30 year mortgages and they're locked in to their housing, right? Americans are not going to move, right? Why would you, you're going to trade your 3.5% mortgage for a six or 7% mortgage, right? So you guys have made a decision in the past that has led to a really good outcome. And I agree with the diagnosis. I think you're going to have to sit on this portfolio and watch the millions trickle in over the next four or five years. Um, I don't know, you know, who knows about appreciation and those types of things, but it's either you're either going to do that or you're going to refinance these properties and take on way more crazy debt and take higher risks with the next project. I think that, you know, it, from a, from a high level like diagnosis, I think you're kind of stuck. You can't Yes, You can get creative. You can sell these properties. You can 1031 exchange them. But by the way, a 1031 exchange means that you have to get a new property with the same amount of debt on it, unless you want to pay taxes on the reduction in what's called boot. And then you're going to have capital gains tax to pay. If you sell the property and just harvest the tax, the, 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 the equity that's in them, you're going to pay an agent to sell the property for you, um, and, and you're going to pay a commission there. Then you're going and, and all the closing costs. Then you're going to pay the capital gains on there, and the pile of money that you're left with after that and your debt is going to be very nice. You still you still have a, uh, some spending money, but it's not going to be you know quite as much. It, it it won't feel like very much to you uh, at the end of the day when you run that calculation. I don't know if you have done that math or talked to a CPA about the, those topics. No, yeah. <laughs> not really an option we've ever considered. So yeah. it took so much to build the portfolio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> over the last few years. So, so you're stuck with a pile of wealth and plenty of cash flow to cover your needs. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, what am I going to get? I think, I think plan A for me is sit on the portfolio and do nothing and manage it effectively. <laughs> right. And then when, when you have the, the next, you know, the, the, the pile of cash flow, that's coming in. What do you do with that? Well, you either continue adding on to this portfolio in thoughtful and creative ways. I love the idea of assumable or, or uh, subject to mortgages or those types of things. Um, so you can keep buying properties like this with last year's debt if you find those um, those those opportunities. Or I like the idea of going into um, lending. I know I know uh, that's where James puts a lot of his extra cash is in, in in hard money loans and those types of things. And you guys are very well positioned to do that kind of stuff. And that would help you get you know a ten plus percent potential yield on that additional million that you're going to generate over the next three or four years. Um, and if you know worst case scenarios, you now foreclose on a property uh, that you know how to operate and manage pretty well. So that would be my bias coming in. I know James is going to have a very strong differing opinion on that. I'm I, I'm naturally a trader, so I I you know one thing I I do believe people get stuck on right now is the low rates and. Yes, cost of money. Yeah, I mean, and there's a good example right now. I just sold a duplex in Queen Anne, Washington, great area. I had no cash in the deal. I was cash flowing fifteen hundred bucks a month, and I had a four and a half percent rate or four point two five percent rate. But I just traded it for a property that had that actually. For, I go from fifteen hundred dollars a month to break even, and my rate now is going to be seven and a half percent. And I would do that trade ten times over right now. And let me tell you why. It, it's because. At certain point, these assets, they get into steady growth, right? When we when you guys purchase these properties, you got them at the right time, right? 2012 was when the market was flat. Your guys' income were up. You could obtain cheap financing, and you bought them right. And buying them right gives you gunpowder to explode your portfolio out. And it, uh, because the equity is really what can grow you rapidly. And, you know, right now you guys have an amazing portfolio. You're making a great cash on cash return on it. But your overall return on equity is around 6% 
which is 6% is still a good growth, but it also is below inflation at that point. You know, and so for me, I'm always looking at what kind of equity and what can I trade into. And even if I'm getting a higher rate down the road, it's 6.5%. If I'm getting a higher surplus, it doesn't matter. If my cash on cash return is going from 7 to 8 with a higher rate, then I'm still advancing my position at that point. You know, things that I would look at, there's kind of two ways. You can either look at your portfolio like it's a gold mine, which it is, right? It's steady. It's safe. You're not going to be the Seahawks on the one-yard line throwing the interception in the end zone. <laughs> you know, you're you're not going to be doing that, right? Run the ball. If you just run the ball in with your portfolio, everything is going to be fine. But, you know, with this quest of financial freedom, you know, like you were saying, you want to get down to two days a week. John might want to stop working to give you that extra padding in your expenses, because right now yours is expenses rates run great. You're at 30 to 35%. That's amazing. But once John leaves that job, that's going to go right back up to 50%. And that's going to be trailing with the the average, right? And then you have to figure out how to increase that. One thing, what I would do is, you know, you have properties scattered everywhere, in, well, they're all in one central city, but they're still different properties that come with different expenses. And right now, your portfolio is running an average of about 50% expenses. And that's with you guys self-managing too, correct? Mm-hmm. That's correct. And so if you add in property management, you're going to be running like 60% expenses on your portfolio, which is a little bit higher. And that's what happens when we start accumulating units and they're spread out everywhere because we did the same thing. I'm a Pacific Northwest investor. I started with single families. We rolled the small multi into large multi. If you took these buildings and you went and sold them right now, and the combined value is 8.7, right? If you took that and you bought a, a unit, if you bought that in Everett, you're going to get that for about 150 grand a door. You're going to be able to obtain like 70, 80 units in Everett with that pricing at that point with wow. today's market. In addition to when you're buying a big portfolio like that, even if you're trading into a 6.5% rate, our average expenses or your your expenses on bigger properties actually go down because you're more efficient. And so you can naturally add in 10 to 15% in cash flow just by reducing your expenses on that one trade. Wow. And, and that will offset all your debt costs at that point. And so just by making that one move of selling off the properties and putting them into one, your cash flow would go from annually, if you're projecting to get to 360 by the end of the year, you're going to be picking up an additional 54,000. You're going to be at 415 just by making that trade. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. NetSuite.com slash BP Money. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. What would be the uh, cap rate on on this 70-unit apartment complex, and what would be the interest rate on the debt for that, that apartment complex? So with commercial debt right now, so we just, and I, this is a perfect time because we just closed on a 58 unit in Everett. So I can, I can rattle the cap rates. Stabilized, we're at 7.9 cap stabilized when we're all said and done. 
So that's already going to increase your cash on your equity return on equity right there. We were able to get financing locked at a five years uh, or it's a 10 year note fixed for five. And that's at a 6.1 rate right now. So, yes, you'd be giving up your 3% rates, but then your, your overall return and your spread is going to go up at that point, and your costs are going to go down. So, naturally, you're going to pick up that extra 15 to 20%, even with paying that higher rate at that time. And your life, if you guys like financial freedom, you have one site to manage. It is a lot simpler, a lot easier, and if it's about that work-life balance, too. Like, okay, well, to run around and manage all these properties with all different areas, that's different demographics of tenants, it's, you know, it's just harder. Um, and whereas if you have a bigger building, too, or if your properties are spread out everywhere, typically your property management cost is going to be 8 to 10% because it's more work for a property manager. If it's in one, you're getting 5 to 6%. So all of your costs... Had go down just like you guys have ran your living expenses. You've like built it based on keeping your expenses low. By doing the one trade, that will it will match what you do personally as well. Your expenses will match what your life expenses are, and the fifteen percent will almost that will pay for a third of John's salary just to stop working. Just by making this one trade would pay for thirty five to forty percent of John's salary right when he leaves the door without putting any more money in the deal. James, th- this is awesome. I-, I have a quick question as well on this. Um, what is the purchase cap on a TTM basis? So you said stabilizes, it'll be 8%. That's your cash flow uh, for those listening. So you're, you're essentially your your net operating income will be 8%. So if you have a million dollar property, you make 80 grand a year uh, in rough rough cash flow before allocations for CapEx and those types of things um, and and uh, principal payments. But what what is it, what are you purchasing it for? Because you're gonna, you said that's the after stabilization cap rate. Yeah, so we're, we were buying it at a 5.8 cap on existing right there. So in, in logically that doesn't make sense when you're buying with a six one rate. You know, typically your cap rate needs to be above your interest rate. That's a general rule of thumb to keep. But it was a very cosmetic turn too, which they definitely have done by looking at their portfolio. Cause they they've bought some pretty old buildings. So those are harder renovation plants. And actually what we have found is going from the small, harder renovation, like what you described on your last purchase was a great buy. You got it well under market, but it needs a lot of work. That that's it just you know that's a six to twelve month deal to get that thing fully stabilized and optimized. The great thing about buying bigger buildings is you're buying them a lot newer. Like the building we bought was built in the 70s. So all we have to do is swap out flooring, cabinets, doors, trim, but the overall bones and structures and the mechanicals are good because so it makes it very efficient at that time. So it's you don't have to take on when you're buying bigger, you don't have to take on the same amount of work either. So it, it's just basically you're getting more efficient at that point. But you have to get comfortable with trading that rate out. And and going back to my <laughs> example of why I did that deal because people are like, have you lost your mind? You had a lower rate in your cash flow in 1500. Now you're not cash flowing anything. I did that trade because the building I sold was maxed out. If you guys sell these and these are at the top dollar, you, it, you're you going into steady equity growth at that point. You're going to be getting your three to 4% a year. Whereas if you can buy something where a bigger building where your cap rate's five, nine, and you can increase it to seven, you're increasing the value of that building, which is going to create that equity pop. And so I made this trade to a duplex in Bellevue because, yes, my cash flow position's worse, but that will get better when rates fall. But my equity position, once I'm stabilized, is increasing by $350,000. And so over a 12-month period where my $1,500 a month in cash flow is not going to get me there for the wealth. And then I can trade that $350 then later for more cash flow because I'm in building – you guys have done a great job building equity. And then it's about maximizing your equity to get you to that final space where you're like, I don't even need to manage my properties anymore. They all pay for each other because – because the equity just keeps buying it down, buying it down, and getting you more doors. I think that's uh, that's awesome. What James just said is that's a business, right? You're going to go in and, and you're going to buy, buy a property and you're going to turn 50, 60 units. You're going to take on uh, a different type of debt to purchase that portfolio. To, ex- to exercise this, you'd need to sell essentially all six of those buildings and 1031 exchange the equity into this new property and, and close that debt. This will be a project. Um, and yeah, you'll absolutely get better returns um, on that if you can drive uh, uh, rents up in a pretty meaningful way uh, in the period following acquisition and uh, and property. Probably take you yeah, like a year. I don't know. Is that right, James? You think to, to move the property to its post-stabilized rental rates? 
Uh, yeah, it takes about a year, depending on the size of building. Because you, what you're doing is you're doing a structure that when you're buying these little bit more cosmetic, you're moving out like five people at a time. You're turning the units. So you still get to keep your debt service going. But yeah, it's about a year process when you're you're moving people. I think in that one, the 58, we'll be done with that in about seven months all the way through. But we also had a third of them moved out when we bought. So we could just tackle those immediately. So I think that's that's a potential option for you. That's a business activity, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. that's going to be that that would take your existing portfolio, which you know probably feels to you fairly diversified, even though it's all in one one place, and concentrating it into a single asset. I think there's a spectrum of optionality along there. You could, for example, purchase a property. Well, you, you'd have to keep probably about, again, four and, four and a half million dollars in debt on the portfolio, which will dramatically change your debt service. So you want to run those those through. Um, I would I would run the numbers on on the two things and say, hey, if the if the uh, if the opportunity size is dramatically for me, it would have to be dramatically better uh, to go to go with James's option there uh, than to just kind of go with the status quo um, because. You know, you've, what you got is working there, and it may, it may well be. Um, but you know, several things. I think uh, I, I I completely love James's strategy. If you can find a deal, if you can add the value, and you're willing to uh, uh, assume the, the project there, um, you you will be able to drive a much better return than holding the existing portfolio. Um, but the existing portfolio is freedom in today's sense as well, without without any modifications to it. So it's all about um, what the what that end goal is, and um, the comfort with, with that. I think that's, you know. I think that's probably our biggest hurdle is the comfort with mm-hmm. the security of it. And that that's with our portfolio, our current life is W2. Uh, he gets real stuck. I'm going to throw you under the bus here, real <laughs> stuck on the, the security of like, well, this is my salary and we have medical and we have kids and so we've got to, you yeah. know, but, but getting past that comfort level and kind of pushing it, I think we're both interested in, it's just kind of jumping over that hurdle. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, the comfort and the security is a good thing, but it's also one of the things that's detrimental to us and our future growth. And we do want future growth. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, the good news is that we can stay with what we're doing now and, and still be okay, or we can push to what, what James is saying and, and accelerate, which... You know me. That's my vote. So, <laughs> so she's generally the. I'm usually the conservative one. I'm the. I'm the. I'm the handbrake, and she, she's the one. Well, that's luckily, less, we like, balance each other out. Another yeah. route I might take in your situation is I might say, "What is that number that I'm super comfortable with? Like, if if I was just like, if I had a pretty safe two hundred thousand dollars in passive cash flow every year." Would you then, John, be willing to take the remaining, you know, four million bucks of your portfolio and go big on a on a James bet here? Would that change things for you? I think in some regards, yeah, it probably would. And you know, and and I, I, uh, the other thing I realized too is I, I wonder if I'm getting caught in a little bit of uh, market timing thinking as well with the portfolio because mm-hmm. there's we still look at deals all the time for, for properties. And admittedly, nothing has been ever as big as like a, a 50 unit or any anything deal that size. So we haven't really considered those to James's point. But, um, you know, there's there's so much assumption that our belief, I guess, that, you know, there will be these opportunities later, whether it's later this year or into 24, you know, are we are we jumping too early? You know, if I, if I, I decide to get super aggressive am i uh you know am i being o- overly aggressive and not like you know reading the <laughs> reading the signs but there's one thing about that and i get trapped in the same thing because i'm a 2008 investor so i have bad whiplash <laughs> and I, I lock up sometimes but at, if the opportunities are better in one year and pricing is less your portfolio is worth less too and it's an equal trade. Uh, it, it's about what can you do today and can you increase that return? And, and that's when you want to make those big – and that's what you guys can do to make that big growth jump. But that it is also not for everybody. I'm also kind of a high-risk person that you know I'm chasing this equity growth. I actually don't care about cash flow at all right now. I'm just trying to get the biggest equity position. And then when I'm ready to kind of settle down, I'm going to sell it all, roll it into one thing. And then I'm going to take all this equity, buy a bigger building, and I'm going to have one building that's going to pay for everything. But you guys do have a great portfolio and there's room to improve too, right? Because you you've, you maximized it, but you, like your expenses are are high in in just implementing other strategies like right now do you guys do utility billbacks we don't on in the duplexes they they do their own garbage but water sewer garbage is included in the fourplexes and the 10 okay 
I would implement those immediately if you guys want to start growing a little bit too on your existing because you know maybe you get to the point where you're like I, I don't want to make the trade right now we we don't want to fumble on the one yard line but you you really start breaking down your portfolio on how to perfect it right and if by putting in utility billbacks which are now standard up in Everett and Snohomish King and Pierce County that's going to automatically put about three to five percent back in your 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 return right there and then you can take that savings and then what we were talking about was adding more units to your building and you know um you know just really going okay once we save up a certain amount of cash on this extra cash flow then take that and invest in our profits into adding that building or adding that unit and as long as you can generate the same cash on cash return that you expect you know so if you're what we were talking about before that we hopped on was you were going to add a unit for 250,000 if it only makes sense if your minimum you have to make sure that you can generate $2500 a month in rent if your minimum return is 10%. And so you just want your build out cost to 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 track with what your rent is. And then that will make the decision if it doesn't then you want to make your your portfolio more efficient and get your portfolio to pay that overage at that point. Okay. Now, what's your strategy with the billbacks? Do you do per person or do you do per unit or is it a mixture? Uh, We do per unit and then units that we do have multiple tenants in one house. Mm -hmm. We actually do that. We make them sort that out. uh, It's in their lease that they're all obligated to pay the one bill, but they got to sort out their own separate billing. Okay. Yeah, and, And I just charge a utility fee. Okay. Oh, that's Got it. So that's that's another. Uh, I don't know if that's an option in your state, um, but you know, we here we just I, I estimate the utilities on an average basis, and then just charge that on top of the rent. And so the payment includes rent and plus utility fee. Excellent. Okay. Just make sure you're not cash flowing your utilities. That is not allowed. That's right. Got it. <laughs> yeah. It is. So you got to make sure the fee is slightly below. Actually. Yeah. So so James is is probably more more like long term appropriate. Mine mine. Yes. I I still cover a, a small amount of the utilities, but yeah, it's very simple. You know. Well, and I think there's also kind of a little more responsibility and utility usage if you're on the hook for it. So exactly. Versus like, hey, we don't pay water. <laughs> Everybody come over and do laundry. So we now have that in our lease that that's not allowed. So (laughs) trying to get smarter over time. That's like the no archery sign at the beach. You know, somebody, somebody sometime put that into the, (laughs) (laughs) made made that sign a requirement here. And somebody (laughs) really don't feel like that's necessary, but (laughs) apparently it is. Let let me try another one here because again, I think, I I don't think you guys have a math problem here, right? I think, I think there's more of like an allocation and psychological issue to resolve in your, 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 your situation because you're way past the point in terms of net worth of what you'd need to, to actually leave your job, uh, John, or feel comfortable with that. So I want to go through a couple more exercises here and try a few, try a few more portfolio allocation ex- uh, things on. You know, I, I think uh, if, if, if I handed you a pile of $2.5 million in cash right now, how would you allocate that, John, to feel so super comfortable with leaving your job? <laughs> I think you have a different allocation than I do. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, well, luckily, you'll both be able to go through this exercise because you have more than two and a half million each uh, to, to allocate if you wanted. I uh, I would keep a substantial amount in cash reserves. I honestly, I probably put at least you know three hundred to five hundred in cash reserves, and then truly, I would go figure out investments for the others. Um, uh, I, again, I default to buying the 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 duplexes and fourplexes because that's what I know but that that's how I would that's how I would allocate mm-hmm. it and you know try and find opportunities there to 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 buy undervalued assets and that would be my cash cushion would help ensure that we don't get tipped over and um like yeah pick up one or two properties start working on them and how would you allocate it honestly pretty pretty similarly I mm-hmm. honestly thought he would keep more in cash reserves um being aggressive. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, again, security, security, security. So, uh, but no, pretty, pretty on on par with that. We've been together too long. That's uh, what. <laughs> can I jump in real quick? So I started stocking all your properties on the internet oh, as yeah. we were talking. <laughs> You know, and you guys have some hidden value on these. And so if, you know, for, there's nothing wrong with the plan that I proposed. Is this the way I do it? I know a lot of people do it that way. It's aggressive. For you know, there's nothing wrong with also being more conservative and keeping keeping your financing locked in. And what I'm looking at, like even on one year properties, like the one uh, four unit that's on Walnut, mm-hmm. um, you have a big parking lot there. And Washington has just eliminated single family zoning, 
and and they're allowing for mass upzoning, and you have a very good potential to add one to two ADUs or DADUs to your parking lots, your rents would go down a little bit. And then the nice thing about doing that is you have to come up with the cash to build those. They're going to cost you about three hundred grand to build one each each one of those. Mm-hmm. But then once you condo those off, you can leave your financing in place on your four unit, your cheap three and a half percent rate, and you can refinance just those two units at about six percent. And once rates fall, then you can bring it in. But you allows you to add more units in, get more rent income, and keep your financing in place. And then eventually, if you want down the road, you can sell those off later. Uh, if you wanted to, but I'd probably just keep them as one big package. But it it allows you to expand out your portfolio without having to reset your loan basis. Interesting. That's a good plan. That'll keep you busy, John. That sounds like a better better value add than the uh, the W two for a year or two. And that's that's just an Everett proper that they've been allowing that more. That's in all three major cities. So Seattle, Everett, Tacoma are really pushing these uh, ADU law uh, and DADU expansion. Uh, In Seattle, you can condo them off and sell them. In Seattle and Tacoma, you have to keep them as rentals. But that works for what you guys are trying to accomplish. And you have a great lot here. Uh, We could cut this thing up all day long. So that's that's a good thing to hold on to. But the thing that you have to think about is you got to come up with that money to build it without resetting your loan. So I, if I was you, I'd, I would network with some private investors, borrow the money, and then refi it. It's going to cost you a little bit more up front, but it allows you to keep that really good rate because that is a great 3.5% on a 30-year fix is a is a good thing to have. There's uh, some of the similar properties like uh, the, the fourplex on Chestnut. It also has a, a big open area just in front of the, the building as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 4510 in Marysville has a large lot that's currently a carport. Yeah, we, I mean, we use it as, as, uh, yeah, it's parking and storage. Um, so we hadn't, uh, we hadn't actually really mm-hmm. thought at all about the, the change in regulation, the, the DADU law. We never really considered that. We always thought that was for single family, to be to- totally mm-hmm. frank with you. I think that's a bingo, right? I mean, I, I, we just asked you guys, what would you do if we handed you $5 million mm-hmm. in cash? And you said, I'd do exactly what I'm doing currently, <laughs> but I want to grow my portfolio more on this. Like, there you go. Like, there's the answer. Now you have the, now you have, you have this opportunity to add value to your existing structures that you, you know, really well. And you can pull off these projects, you know, either in tandem or one at a time. You have the cash right now to finance that project completely. If you one of the projects completely, if you wanted to, um, and and you'll replace that entire reserve in one year um, without even you know, like, you you probably would not even notice your reserves dwindling while you tackled one of these projects. Would be my guess because the cash flows to finance each phase of the construction would likely be replaced. By the rental income from your portfolio, like your your ba- like if you were just looking at your balance over time, you probably wouldn't even notice it with your current situation. So, I I, I think that's a that's a fantastic uh, a discovery by James. <laughs> Great job, man. That that's all. Awesome. I had no idea. I would never have gotten there because I don't know that regulation in, in in Washington. And you could also take a loan out against your four hundred one k that you've done such a good job. Uh, just temporarily to build it and then put it back in once you refinance back out because you guys have done a great job saving and that's that's usually a lot of investors' biggest problems. But you, but tap into those investments. It's just you know I would break out of the hey this bucket this bucket this bucket. How do you maximize the buckets and maybe you got to mix them for a short amount of time. Um, but it, it still gets you to kind of your end goal. I think you got some fun options here. Your portfolio is so optim, is so close to, to optimized uh, for what for in, in, in its today's shape. That yes, I think that if you wanted to go big and build a business, um, James' approach is going to get you richer faster than the one that I uh, that I, I held out there. The current portfolio, though, if you do nothing, is going to cash flow and cover all your needs. So game is won, victory is complete. Um, we're pretty <laughs> close to it with with your current situation. But I think that if you want a blend of both, uh, then I think James's uh, uh, approach of of just adding value by basically taking into account that your properties have been rezoned recently without you be really being aware of that. Yeah, that seems awesome. like a pretty good place to go hunting for opportunity there. And I'm sure you can um, continue with your preferred choice of of paint and floor in those uh, <laughs> uh, new new constructions that you're you're going with. James, what do you think that back of the napkin? Since you know the area so well, the uh, the co- you said cost 300 and an ARV of one of those projects would be. 
So, like, if that was so, you can't sell them off right now. But the the, the value on that building, so you're you're gonna build it for three hundred. It's gonna be worth about three ninety nine to four twenty. Being next to multifamily, you're probably gonna be worth three ninety nine. So you're gonna pick up an equity position there, and then that unit should rent for about twenty one hundred. I would think for a brand new two bedroom, two and a half bath, um, that should be about a two thousand to twenty two hundred dollar rental and that john can probably you guys can probably uh verify that a little bit better than i can because you have more um units there um so the the issue you'll have is it's not going to quite hit your cash on cash return expectations because you're going to spend you know roughly 300 grand and you can probably build that for 250 there too if you do more rental grade the 300 is more for resale so you you update it so you'll be about 250 in and get about 2200 out of it but it does allow you to start building. If, if you don't want to trade out the buildings, you can start building infrastructure behind that. And that's very similar to what we were looking at when we looked at the property, the 10 unit up in, in Marysville. We're estimating, you know, the the initial rent on it would be right around 2200 maybe a little bit higher mm. for the townhome um, on a build cost of right around 250 for that. Yep. And whether this is good or bad, um, it's served us well. Our strategy has been very patient with regards to the, you know, not trying to get the, not having to get the maximum capital today um, uh, to, you know, kind of essentially just lower risk and, and make sure that we're slow and steady rather than, you know, sprinting and realizing we've gone the wrong way. But I, I think we both are wanting to, I tell them all the time, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, com- yeah. comfort in the discomfort. And so pushing it past what we're, what we're comfortable with as far as the security aspect. Um, I'm usually the one that's like, you know, we should go 12 steps that way. And he's like, I'll compromise with eight. And so we <laughs> land somewhere in the middle. Um, but I, you know, we are in the scheme of things relatively, you know, in the beginning and we do want to do this long haul. So it seems riskier to him to do it now that the kids are small. And I say, well, now it's kind of the time to, you know, to, to push, I think to push and, and grow at a faster rate. Well, John and Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the, on the show today. Um, we, we hope this was, was helpful and we're so grateful for you coming on and sharing, um, a unique and awesome, um, challenge for us. And, um, yeah, we wish you the best of luck. Please let us know what you end up deciding to do. Absolutely. It was hugely, mm-hmm. hugely insightful. Thank you both. Thank you. Yeah. We'll have to, uh, I'll have to attend your meetup, uh, mm-hmm. James and go, <laughs> go ask you some questions in person. Oh yeah. Come hang out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thank right. you very thank much. You. Take care. All right, James, that was John and Jennifer. What'd you think today? Oh, those are my kind of people. It's cool to see investors grow their portfolio and not get too far out there because that's a huge mistake a lot of people do. Um, And I could relate with them a lot about getting kind of locked up, getting comfortable because we all do that. And it's about how do you push to that next thing or figure out whether you even want to do it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I I thought that was really an interesting uh, dynamic because, you know, I I bias towards and, and, and the reason I bias, by the way, towards the approach that I took is because I'm the CEO of this company at Bigger Pockets, right? So most of my time and energy is spent on building this company. And I sometimes kind of get locked into that and forget like, oh, if I wasn't CEO here, absolutely, I'd be trying to take a more aggressive approach like what you just put together uh, or like what you suggested with a 58 or 70 unit apartment complex and trying to grow to the next level there. So I loved I loved the the balance of opinions there. And I, I, I really think you hit a home run. But when you uncovered the when you stalked the properties and uncovered that they have room for, you know, dadus uh, to be added to them. So that was an awesome find. Yeah, might as well. I mean, if, if you don't want to sell, figure out how to maximize it. So it, it, the one thing I've always learned is you can always improve a deal. Do you have any parting thoughts or other things that, you know, you'd have for, for investors given the, the what we discussed on today's show? No, I just think it's important that investors don't fall into that rate trap. At the end of the day, it comes down to what are you making, what's your return, and the debt is just a byproduct of that. And so don't, don't get locked up because it can prevent growth. Um, and, and for us, we're all trying to get to financial freedom. The more growth you have, the quicker you're going to get there. Awesome. So yeah, you, you generally recommend not for me, not doing what I'm currently doing. And I think that's, that, that's, that's something to think about. I have to go and review that with my business partner on my own portfolio and say, yeah, what should we be doing here? Cause right now I, I told John and Jennifer after the show, like that's, that's what we decided last year. We looked at it. We're like, we don't think prices are going to move much in Denver for the next year or two, maybe three. We're cash flowing just fine. We've got this low interest rate debt on here. If we sold the properties, we'd, uh, we'd have to pay, you know, transaction costs and then we'd have to pay capital gains. We refinanced a few. So the amount of cash we'd actually extract if we didn't 1031 exchange wouldn't be 
that high. And we thought, hey, we'll just hold on and, and, and enjoy the cash flow and slowly deleverage these things. But maybe we should be thinking bigger on that portfolio and uh, moving it to the next level. Let's break down your portfolio next. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, James. And maybe we should do that. We'll we'll, we'll talk with Kaylin and see if that's a good episode. Uh, I'm a hundred percent in. Let's get you on the on the market podcast, and me and David can we can go through your portfolio together. Awesome. Well, James, uh, let us know if you if you think that would be a good idea, guys, and uh, maybe we can make that make that episode happen. So, James, great uh, great catching up with you again today. Thanks for all the great wisdom and the great thought starters. And uh, we hope to have you back on a few more of these Finance Fridays in the weeks to come. Anytime. All right. He is James Daynard, and I am Scott Trent from the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. And we are saying be sweet, Parakeet. Thank you, Mindy, for that one as well. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.